Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Network. This is the Inclusion Crusade with me, Sarah Morgan. I am on a mission to create workplaces where employees feel safe, seen, and supported one episode at a time. And I am so excited to welcome back Charlie Pleasant. Um, As I mentioned in the last episode, Charlie is going to be in residence with us throughout this season, talking about hot topics in the workplace um, and a little bit of fun and foolishness um, on current events that we're going to squeeze in as well. So Charlie, welcome back once again to the Inclusion Crusade. Thank you for having me. Glad to be back. Always glad to have you. The listeners love your perspective and you and I were prepping for this show. We were talking in pre-show and decided that we want to talk about what is happening right now in the world of work with layoffs and the impact that that has on psychological safety for people as they go forward in their careers and the impact that it has on inclusion feelings within the organization for the people who are left behind. And so one of the things that you mentioned is that you're you're in the clients that you see and the clients that businesses that you work with, you are doing quite a bit of service around that. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing and hearing about the impact of layoffs in the workplace and and what impact that it's having on individuals right now? So one of the biggest things that I'm seeing um, just in my practice are people who are, number one, just exhausted by Mm -hmm. watching, even if they haven't been directly impacted, they either know somebody that works for a corporation, a tech corporation, because that's where we've mainly seen it within the tech companies, but they know somebody that work within the tech corporations and, or they're concerned about what that means for the organization that they're working with as well. So if it it does not take much to do a really quick Google search to find out about, um, or either just going over to Twitter. Going, mm-hmm. Just going over to Twitter or one of these social media platforms where people actually were given firsthand accounts of how they were laid off from their organization, waking up the morning of and simply not being able to access mm-hmm. anything. That's mm-hmm. how they found out. That and, how they- and here's what's crazy about that. So first of all, there are laws surrounding like actual laws surrounding how organizations of certain sizes have to handle layoffs. It's called the Warren Act. Google it, look it up. Mm -hmm. And it says that, you know, notice has to be given in a certain time frame and within certain ways, if you are laying off a, a X percentage of your workforce or X number of people in a particular location. Mm -hmm. So it feels like to me, what I'm hearing in the ways that these organizations are handling these layoffs is that it's just flying in the face of what Mm -hmm. the regulations are. And I wonder if the organizations are just like, we'll just pay the fines. If someone reports us, if the Department of Labor decides to 
do an investigation if if we're found to have violated it the we estimate the fines for this are going to be x number of dollars it's not worth it to us to do this the right way we'll just we'll cut that check if right which to me is so like just so unfeeling and inhumane Um, it feels cowardly very cowardly and here's (laughs) the other thing that bothers me about it is when we began the pandemic back in 2020 and we Mm -hmm. started seeing layoffs and furloughs because of shutdown and the fact that organizations couldn't continue we had buku umpteen stories of organizations just like we're seeing now of I woke up this morning yesterday I was working remotely everything was fine this morning I woke up and couldn't log in and I got an email or a text to my personal um account my cell phone telling me that I've been you know laid off and here's my severance and whatever else and there was so much conversation at that time about how awful it is to handle people that way so much advice given about here are the ways that you can do that better and yet we fast forward two or three years and we are making the exact same mistake Mm -hmm. and I wonder like I have been through several large layoffs not necessarily to the extent of you know, thousands of people, but definitely dozens, hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. And I understand as a leader of people, how unbelievably difficult those conversations are and and how heavy that is. And the days when I knew that those things were coming, like, I just, when the day was over, I would just go home and weep. Like, I'm not even joking because the emotional heaviness of that is so very hard. And so I can empathize with these organizations and the decision makers uh, when you're having to do this thousands of times, creating like the time and space and people to communicate those messages I can understand how, like you said, you go the coward's route and you just like send an email and Mm -hmm. because you're avoiding the negative emotion that's tied to it yourself. But for the person on the other side of that table, it's there, it's the, the dignity of that person to respect them as a human and to respect whatever their contribution was to your organization enough to just have a brief conversation with them to let them know that their employment is ending because the organization is conducting layoffs and they are a part of that. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why we why and we as leaders and organizations are so unwilling to do Mm -hmm. that you know I can remember when we when we had large layoffs um around COVID 
I put together a, now I didn't do all the conversations. I did some of them because there were mm-hmm. so there were so many. There were easy that was probably close to a thousand, if not a thousand. And I put together a script for our managers and we we took the list, we divided it up. We said, you know, this is who you're having your conversations with. Here's the email that you send to them. Here's mm-hmm. what the calendar invite that you send to them needs to say. Here's what you need to say when you get on the call. Here's the email that you send them after that call is over and what it needs to say, what needs to be attached to it. For the people in that email that it says to call, this is what you need to be prepared with. Like we had a plan and at the center of that plan was making sure that we gave people information that they needed to move forward in that moment and that we treated them with the utmost sensitivity and dignity. Um, And I just don't understand it's it's hard for me I empathize with the difficulty but it's hard for me to make sense of why so so I want to back up to something that you mentioned earlier and about the first of all the legal ramifications or the the policies that are in place with the Department of Labor but you mentioned it as being the um the Warren Act Mm -hmm. that that has that if you're laying laying off or you're reducing your work staff by a certain amount of people, then you have a protocol and procedure that you have to have in place to actually do this. Yeah. Um, I'm really curious, and that might be something that might be some side research, is that did they hire, I mean, or did they did, did they dismiss or have these companies dismissed right below the threshold? Because if it's right below the threshold, then it allows me to do what we just saw. Yeah. So, so, so one that- or two things can happen. It's yeah. to your point, we build it in the budget and say, we, we anticipate the way that we're going to go about this. We're going to eat a financial cost if it's a fine that incurs if somebody chooses to do an investigation, or we're going to reduce the number just of people below just at below, the threshold yeah. so that, that we don't that it, trigger the requirements. Right. So yeah. we don't, so we don't trigger the requirements both ways are still very cowardless ways, mm-hmm. but, but if you're doing it below the threshold, and again, I'm just making, you know, I'm just making an assumption here because we just right. don't know what that is. If you're doing it in that way where you're willing to take the financial hit, it's something about that that feels a little bit more. Both of them feel nefarious in in ways it's because, because you're get you're giving what you're what you're not saying or the subtext there is. I've thought about this and I'm and I've strategized enough to work around this, mm-hmm. either by money or firing or dis or laying off right below the threshold. So you, it's already a thought, right? Right. If if that comes up, mm-hmm. I definitely empathize with managers and supervisors who do find themselves in positions of having to deliver really difficult news because it's news that's going to change the trajectory of somebody's life in what ways we don't know once they leave our mm-hmm. organization. Mm-hmm. But I only empathize to a certain degree because this is part of the work. Yeah. So th- this is part of when you take on and you want supervisory work or leadership responsibility, that this is part of the work of being accountable to your people. Agree. Agree. So so and, and, and I love the fact that you're giving even just in this conversation a best practice of how to go about this, that 
We're going to sit down. We're going to draft the emails. We're going to talk about what you need to say to them, either face-to-face or over the phone, and then how we're going to follow up. And to that, I would add, can we build in some infrastructure for managers, leaders, and supervisors to actually have some time off after that? Because it is is emotionally taxing. Agreed. I can only imagine how emotionally taxing that that's how you have to spend your Monday and Tuesday of your work week. There's no pro there's no productivity that's happening after that. Because because if you're go ahead. No. And so how about, um, and you and I, we had the conversation about my toxic workplace. So Mm -hmm. we had, when we had layoffs there, we did, we laid off close to 50% of the workforce of one specific location. So again, not to trigger Warren. So you're very Mm -hmm. right about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we did it in the morning. So it was probably 10-ish in the morning um, before lunch, of course. And then, but we had people who were there, okay? So imagine that you have individuals I am working in my little cubicle and someone comes and gets my coworker, and they go off to the other you know to the other side of the building someone else comes packs up their stuff in a little box and disappears with it and poof my coworker is now gone and this is happening over and over again the person to the left, the person in front, the person behind, and I'm still sitting here. And I have no idea if I'm next. I have no idea if I'm going to, you know, I don't know what's going on because no mm-hmm. one has announced anything. I don't know what's happening. And at the end of it, the executives gather those who remain into a room and was like basically like it's over congratulations you survived um like the like the hunger games i mean yes it was yes it was giving hunger games it was give what was the show on netflix um with the 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 different tasks that was trending last year i forget in the name oh i know what you're talking about but it's very much given you got a pre-sale code for the Beyonce yeah. concert. Like, yeah. it's... And, like, yeah. you know, congratulations. You're still here. Here's some pizza. And go. you can, you know, go back to work after right. this afternoon. There was no productivity to be had. There was no, like, and the... um, And then, you know, they jump on their private jet and they leave. And the rest of us are left there to deal with all of it yeah like you have got it's it was the it was the at one of the absolute worst days and to your point those of the people who remained the managers who were you know involved in those conversations the people who watched their co-workers pack up and go not knowing if they were next and now they are he now they remain and feel horrible. It's like a it's a survivor's it's guilt. It's a survivor's guilt. Yes. And yeah. it's like, why me, not them? Like all of the emotions. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm just supposed to keep taking calls and go back and sending emails like it's any old regular day? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so the importance of resources, not only for those who exit, but also for those who remain are very important, particularly Mm -hmm. if your organization has any desire whatsoever to retain those individuals long term to rebound from those events and to have your your culture come through that mm-hmm. I won't say unscathed but at least you know bent but not broken right um, because I imagine after watching that just getting even the descript the visual description that you're giving of watching people around you have their offices packed up and then they're gone and then you're there you're remaining I'm thinking I'm probably already starting to look for work. Oh, for sure. You, you know, because because of a flight response is kicking in here. Some a, a fear response, a survival response is going to kick in, which totally takes you offline. Yeah. You like, have like, completely decimated yes. the right. trust between you and the individuals that remain. You have completely leveled any sense of psychological safety that those individuals have in your environment. Spoiler alert, no one who survives a layoff feels good and secure in Mm -hmm. that environment. And even if they stay, they do not feel a sense of security in that environment likely for years, Yes, years, because the trauma that they hold from that experience removes the sense of safety mm-hmm. from them. And there is always going to be a lingering thought in their mind that this could be snatched away from me, that I could be called into a room and have my stuff boxed up and given to me mm-hmm. at any given moment. And I would imagine, and, and I know I've witnessed this, is as you hire new people, as the organization rebounds, assuming it does, and you hire new people, the individuals that remain, as they connect with those individuals and share that so share, you know, their experience, that experience, and they're going to share that experience. And that's right. going to create a sense of not being safe for that individual. Like, hmm, yep, let, me, it, let me not sir. bring in too many pictures from home. Let me not, you know, do too much decorating this cubicle because who knows how long it is that I'm going to be here. Who knows how long I'm going to be here. That's absolutely right. I went through a situation years ago when I was working in higher ed and where I was located at the university where I was, was uh, we were union protected. Mm. And it does work a little different when layoffs happen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it, but the impact is still it's very the much same. the same. Yeah. The impact is the same. And I, and I actually went through a situation that this whole conversation is just bringing me back to when everything is based on seniority, when you hired in and then who gets bumped at that point. Mm-hmm. I actually bumped a colleague that is a friend of mine Oof. that felt in my same department. We work in the same department. Mm-hmm. And when the layoffs came, that's how they structured that they bumped me to her position and she was out oh yeah this is my friend this is my friend friend. yeah this is my friend I enjoy a relationship with this woman even outside of work to this day I'm no longer with that organization you can't imagine 
what that feels like. Yeah. Even though we know that it's a seniority thing, mm-hmm. it's still the same type of process. You yeah. still and, and 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 to that point of watching your colleagues or your coworkers be bumped or laid off, we don't talk about the grief that's associated again to yeah. your point of those who leave and those that remain because yeah. everybody's grieving. Mm-hmm. Everybody has everybody has some grief. So I'm, I don't want to put it out there like every major corporation. And, and maybe I'll leave it up for you all to have an opinion about that. But when you when you're working interdepartmentally, those places can be really great places for people to work, and they can yeah. share really awesome relationships yeah. with their leadership and their managers um, and their colleagues. So when something like that happens, there's just no support mm-hmm. at all to even talk about the grief. Yeah. That's associated. We we rarely talk about the mental health and the impact beyond anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. There is grief associated with this mm-hmm. as well, too. Because I, even as we were preparing for this, I was thinking about just oftentimes the wolf tickets. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to just make this general hasty, hasty uh, generalization. But the wolf tickets that are sold to employees when they're onboarding, mm-hmm. it's very much relational. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're there, your relationship somehow switches or maybe has never developed to relational. It's always transactional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can, I come into your organization believing that, and, and, and I really feel like I should put together just a presentation on how d- just a lot of call, why we should not call ourselves a family. Oh, or no. If, yeah. Or okay. if we call each other a family at work, then we're going to talk about the dysfunction. Yes. One of, it's got to be one of the other. It's one of the other. Because because there is no concept of it. It goes against the. It's a um. It's a dissidence that happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The person that's just like they're talking about that this was supposed to be a family place. I can't believe they treated me. It's a you create a cognitive dissidence there. Yeah. But but as the organization, you knew that coming in that perhaps your goal was to always treat them transactional. And yes. there are different ways to do this. But not how we've seen with these tech, com- tech companies over the past few weeks or months. Yeah. And I think for organizations, you know, when you are trying to focus on creating a culture of inclusion, that a part of that inclusion is, is wanting people to feel a sense of belonging. And so that's right. where I feel like the likening to family comes from. But there are lots of other. Um, groups that we can belong to and and feel a strong sense of belonging beyond just our families you have mm-hmm. social groups you have sports teams you have um friend groups that yeah you, you have create. friend groups like you have to I think that that you make a very good point that likening this likening your workplace to your family is a dangerous game that we've been playing poorly for years mm-hmm. on years on years and I have coworkers that I worked with in the past that I work with now that I care very deeply for that they have become friends and in and in some cases they 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 are a part of my extended family they are mm-hmm. really close individuals with me but also to your point like I never lose sight of the fact that one that's rare, like that's not going to happen with everybody. And right. two, 
it doesn't change the transactional nature of my relationship with my job. I can really, I can build really strong relationship, really strong affinity with my boss, with the other people, you know, my peers, with people who report to me and the teams that I work with, I can build those things and it still, and, and have that strength of connection mm-hmm. and still recognize that this is a transactional environment. And I think organizations would do well to, to strike a balance, to strike that balance and to yeah. talk about that more openly as they are trying to build cultures of inclusion so that you don't, so that when decisions like layoffs um, and even sometimes promotions can be controversial when those sorts of controversial decisions have to be made. When you set more realistic expectations for people of what the relationship of this environment is going to be like, then then it may not necessarily trigger the same feelings mm-hmm. um, for everyone involved. The feel and it feels and to part of it, it feels like a betrayal. And I yeah. think it will feel like less of a betrayal when you're honest and upfront. So that's a really great point. It's it's one yeah. thing to want to sell your environment and to want people to feel a high sense of inclusion and belonging. That should exist in all yeah. places. But um, what you have to be careful to strike a balance with is is getting people to remember that there's there's transaction involved mm-hmm. in in work. Um, and and that's that's what the difference is. There's not mm-hmm. my my family relationships are not transactional. Right. That's the right. Rela- they and are- the relationships yeah. with any people that that I that I love and have have a strong connection to are not going to at some point they transcend transcend the part of being transactional and work never does that and it's important for us to to make that distinction what's what's coming up for me even as i'm listening and we're having this conversation is perhaps and again just conjecture of why organizations don't push transactional relationships to the forefront because it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't feel, feel good. It doesn't, not only does it not feel good, but here's another part that we can look at it with this as well, too. If I come in and I know what this is as an organization, that I'm here to serve a purpose, to do this particular job, this, and, and I mean, we're talking about in the very purest form when we're talking mm-hmm. about transaction. I might ask for more. Mm-hmm. Because if it's transactional, one side just can't be winning. And I think that when we keep Mm. things very veiled in a relationship or relational family type of thing, that's why I can get away with a piece and cupcake, Mm. because that's, those are the things that you bring up, bring to a relational space and offerings and different things like that. It's never about the money. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, so I'm, I'm just wondering if we keep that veiled in that kind of way that we don't talk about the transactional relationships that we have with organizations it behooves the company not to sell it in that way because they know that the transaction ain't going both ways. Yeah, I that is spot on. And yeah, very relational can bring the, the what what we would determine as like the soft things, the mm-hmm. softer things. We can do a company outing or 
Um, and, and I think all the, all of those things are important for oh, building team. For building team. Mm-hmm. But 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 to to your example that you gave earlier, when I'm seeing people be laid off and then their offices are being packed up and you come to me with you survive, here's some pizza. That's mm-hmm. more so on the relational. My thing would be if I'm thinking about it in the standpoint as a worker transactional some resources have gotten freed up. So what does that mean for what me? What does that mean for me in, right. the trans- in this transaction? In, in this transaction mm-hmm. Right. So I think that that in some ways that the relational the relational piece is pushed to, to be able to have that thing in place. Because if I'm coming and I know what I'm doing, I'm going to ask for my share because the transaction doesn't work without me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work without me. And I and the way that we have designed capitalism is that there there's always going to be a winner and a loser, and the winner right. is the organization, the boss, the owner, you know, whatever it is that you want to to call that person. But that's what it's designed to do, and the person on the lesser end the losing end of that proposition is not supposed to demand more which flies in the face of this idea of of free trade and exchange of goods and all you know goods and services it it does and it's part of the reason you and I talked about this in pre-show it's part of what drives quiet quitting right it's also part of what drives what has driven a lot of people to more entrepreneurial pursuits because mm-hmm. now I now I know it's transactional. Now I'm right. not there. I don't have to, you know, be concerned about that. I can do what it is that I've been contracted to do in the time period that I've been contracted to do it. And I don't have to feel, I don't have to connect unless I choose to. Yes. But at that point, but it's my choice to right. Like, there's no expectation. I'm not oriented into the organization with these ideals. The way that I work gives me a much more semblance of control over how much I engage and how much I don't. And that yeah. and I think part of the reason why we're seeing those things happen on the heels of COVID, the height of COVID and, and everything mm. that happened in the early stages of that. And what we're likely to see now with the amount of layoffs that are happening, you're going to see people start to pursue their passions and you're going to see people be unwilling to like re-enter the workforce and under those kind of traditional um, confines. That's exactly right. Because it's like, oh, the the mask is off. I see, I see, you know. behind there is no that big face of the wizard is Mm -hmm. really just a dude that got lost (laughs) like the emperor has no clothes all of those pretenses are gone and now I'm going to operate in the way that best both serves me you know from a a financial standpoint but also protects me from the grief and the trauma and the difficulties that I have already felt and experienced absolutely absolutely I know we talked about in pre-show just throwing the concept out there that what you're seeing in some of these layoffs that's taking place with the corporations could be perhaps some of the backlash of um, workers empowerment that came oh, because of COVID sure. and, and, and great, you know, we saw that mainly with the great resignation or we are mm-hmm. seeing it 
And I wonder if possibly it's a way to level set because if I, I can incite, if I can incite fear, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I 100% think that that is at play in a lot of this because here's what, so with the great resignation, a lot of what happened is workers did see the transaction, the the layoffs, the furloughs, the events that happened in the early stages of COVID, people realized, oh, this is not a family. This is, you know, they, and this organization needs me far more than I need it. Mm-hmm. Because when I got laid off, when I got furloughed, I figured out how to make a dollar out of 15 cents. I right. figured out how to survive without this income and still be able to, you know, live my life in a way that was okay for me. So if I'm going to re-enter this space, you're going to have to make it worth my while. And so we saw organizations paying higher wages for jobs than what they had been paying before COVID. Yeah. And you had, and then what we started to see was we have people who were already in the organization. I'm in the same role as this person, but this person is making 10,000 more dollars than me. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do from an equity standpoint? Because I've been here longer you know, I rolled out COVID with you when everyone else was getting laid off and furloughed. I took a pay cut. I rocked with you. And then you bring in this brand new person and pay them $10,000. You make it make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So now I've got to adjust this person and my payroll costs have gone up. So I absolutely believe that a part of what's going on with these layoffs is a, a, backlash a level set of removing like hey we can remove all of this and then reset wages and start over again yeah Yeah. it's something that we are more comfortable with because layoffs has caused enough disruption that people are are not in a position anymore or at least think that they're not in a position anymore to make the kind of demands that they were making you know, end of 2020, beginning of 2021 into 2022 with with what was going on with the great resignation. So now we're seeing that. And then, but people are withholding part of their effort. Yep. Because, and that's what we're, the quiet quitting. Yeah. Is all about. It's recognizing that this is, there is transaction here. And Mm -hmm. what I'm, what, what this transaction pays for, for me is this, 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 and this. So, and you get this, 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 and this between eight and five, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want Mm -hmm. me to be here until six, then that is going to require more from you and it's not pizza and a cupcake no it's not and mm-hmm. that's a, and, and, and I just came across the term that I heard um that I just learned of and you probably heard it but to the point of also quiet quitting that's also quiet hiring that's taking mm-hmm. place oh where, sure. where where that looks like I'm already within the organization you're passing this all passing additional responsibilities off to me yeah. without the increase yeah in my salary happens so it's all the time all the time right it's, it's yeah, it's just a new and way And the of thing that, that nobody wants to talk about, which is quiet firing, which is when I begin taking responsibilities away from you, not mm-hmm. inviting, you know, now this committee that you were sitting on, this meeting that you attend, oh, uh-uh, we don't need you to do that anymore. We're going to give this to such and such, give this to so-and-so where you're left 
with nothing but work that doesn't feel impactful for you. And then Mm -hmm. it makes you say, well, I I guess I'm not wanted here anymore. So I'm just going to leave the organization. We see it a lot with Mm -hmm. our frontline and essential staff with their scheduling. Yes. You, this week you got 40 hours, but next week, next week is only, yeah. Then it's 28, then it's 25, then it's 20. And there's no explanation because everyone else who was working 40 hours is still getting their 40 hours, but suddenly there's not room in the schedule for you. It's, it starts to impact you economically. economically and yeah. so now you have to go find another job when the reality is that your manager may have felt that you were underperforming, may not have liked the way that you engaged with your Like there could be, there could be legitimate reasons as to why this happens, but instead of having a conversation with you, I just quietly push you out. Yeah, just quietly yeah. do the things to you or, or I schedule you for shifts that I know you don't like. I know you don't have childcare on Saturdays, but I'm going to put you on a Saturday and force you to call out That's and it. tell you you have an attendance That's problem. it. And I was about to say that. So that then triggers the domino effect that mm-hmm. keeps employee or, or unfortunately blames employees when they have a response to what they're seeing yes. or what they're yes. experiencing. So to your point, I know you don't like this shift. I know you don't have childcare. Yeah. I'm going to plug you here. Yeah. So if you call out, I can't say that I didn't give you the hours. I gave you hours. I what gave is the you problem? the hours, but you know what the situation was uh-huh. when it comes to childcare. Yeah. And so I'm even thinking about the quiet firing and how that, if we're, if we're talking about the, the the domino effect of quiet firing, if you have particular metrics that you're trying to meet on an evaluation every year and you're getting demoted, Mm-hmm. In, in your responsibilities, because mm-hmm. we know corporations set aside a certain amount of money for raises, and then there's a you percentage you can get this. That's it. That. So, that's so, so, so that type of thing can happen to justify me giving you a 3% or 1% or, or 5% or 0% or zero and putting mm-hmm. you on a performance improvement plan yeah. to say that you're not yeah. meeting these things. And so it's the subtlety that yes. feels so deceptive. Yeah, it feels so deceptive in the way that this thing can matriculate in, in somebody's career. And so, if yeah. we're going to talk about quiet quitting and why people don't want to give one hundred and ten percent of themselves at work anymore, then I think we need to give equal attention to the quiet hiring and the ways that we give people extra work without extra compensation and the ways that we manage quietly fire people by managing them out and taking responsibility away from them, scheduling them in ways that are not ideal to create attendance and performance problems. Like let's talk about, if we're going to talk about it, let's talk about all of it or let's keep this transactional. (laughs) Like we said, and, Mm -hmm. and I do my work, and you pay me for the work it is that mm-hmm. I do. Like it's got mm-hmm. is is either one or the other. It is yeah. We if we're gonna force ourselves into these kind of binaries, then let's 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 do it and let's let yeah. it be one or the other. Yeah, yeah. So this so, is this is. I'm sure it's more to come. More, more, okay. more to come. More, more, more to more come. More to come for sure. Um, but I think what. I want listeners to take away from this, particularly the HR practitioners listening, 
in so much as you have authority and influence, making sure that you are finding ways to, to treat the people who are exiting your organization with, with respect and dignity and treating the people who are, who remain the ones who have mm-hmm. to have the layoff conversations, the ones who, who have to pick up the work of the individuals who are gone or just have to continue working in, mm-hmm. in the environment that you treat them, that you recognize the grief that yeah. those individuals are, are feeling and you find ways to support them and to be gentle. And so if I had, if I had to add on to that from a mental health perspective, for those who are laid off and those who remain is that you properly resource, Mm -hmm. you properly resource your people. Um, And I think that there's, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is it the common practice for an organization to hold on to someone's benefits, you know, up until the end of the month? Usually, it depends on how your benefit plan is structured, but most organizations, the end of the month is it. So, so if there's ways to impact that, as you're letting go a person of an organization, at least give them to your point, the dignity of being able to access mental health services or that support for a duration of at least 90 days, mm-hmm. of at least 90 days. Because if it happens at the end of the month and you get fired on the, you get laid off on the 20th. Mm-hmm. I, the don't, benefits are, I don't have right. time to. I don't have time. My benefits are running out in 10 days. Mm-hmm. So just being able to extend those benefits for people that you know that you're going to have to release from your organization is a is a is a humane thing to do. Yes. Give them space to go somewhere to work through this because it's a lot that they're taking in in a, in a very short per- period of time. And for those who remain to the point that I made earlier, properly resource these people as well too. Mm-hmm. It is and we know that the top top people are not coming in on a day-to-day basis to actually mm-hmm. do this type of um this type of uh work of right. laying off people. There are people that are getting directives to have to do this. Making sure that those people have time to recover. Because mm-hmm. if you're in a good working environment where you've had to lay off somebody that you had a great relationship with, you don't know how that person's relationship is going to be impacted after that supervisor or leader has to lay that person off. There are people that have good connections in workplaces that even though that there's a hierarchy of the of who is what in the organization, the relationship is still good. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Giving, giving people space to actually go through the process of what it felt like to not only let go their colleague that they worked through, worked with side by side, but somebody that they might connect with offline as yeah. well too, and outside of the organization. And just being able to resource those, those persons. I love the idea of putting together a best practice of how this could look combining some of the points that you talked about with preparing your staff that has to do this. And then how do we emotionally and mentally take care of our staff in the process and on the back end of that as well, too. So I think that there's space to create what this could look like that treats Mm -hmm. people and centers the humanity of a person who's ultimately helping the bottom line and the forward projection of your company. Yes. And that's what they do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And if anyone who is listening that may have layoffs coming up or um, are beginning to have conversation about the possibility of layoffs in your organization, um, please reach out to the HR Happy Hour Network, ask to get connected with Charlie and myself. Let us help you, you know, work through these sorts of things. Um, Absolutely. Put together the the scripting and the plan, because at the end of it, don't sacrifice the values 
um, of your organization, the core values, the things that you stand for and don't karma is still real. So, you know, <laughs> don't let that come around and bite you um, because you didn't treat people well um, as right. you were having to exit them from the organization. And now it's time for you to grow and you're having struggle um, because the word is out of, of how it is that, that you behave. That and, you function and operate. And in the, these large tech companies can, can afford that because the name recognition alone um, for mm-hmm. a lot of people is enough to get them to overlook that. But some mm-hmm. of the midsize and smaller companies um, mistreating people at this in this transaction could permanently damage your brand and put your organization in a position where it, it truly can't ever recover. And, and, that, it, and it impacts yeah. your talent base. It yep. impacts who you attract. Yeah. Yeah. And that is not who you attract and who you repel. And who you repel. And so Absolutely. we want to we want to help you. We're here um to do that. And so I just want to put that out there. You can always reach out. The contact information is always in the show notes for you to be able to reach out to the Inclusion Crusade crew and um, ask for help and guidance. So please know that that's available to you. Um, Once again, I want to thank Charlie for being our expert in residence, helping us to talk through not only these very real and difficult issues of what's going on in the workplace, but the emotional and psychological and long-term impact that it has on people through the practice that she's doing of, of seeing clients both as individuals and then also working with organizations. Um, that sort of input is invaluable. And it's it's why we continue to bring her back and have her on this show, um, because that voice in this space is so very needed. Um, I've, I've been having conversations almost daily about the importance of trauma-informed HR practitioners. So Mm, mm -hmm. I want to thank you again. um, And we look forward to our next conversation. Thank you all for listening to the Inclusion Crusade on the HR Happy Hour Network. We will see you next time. All right. Bye, y'all.